When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. For another film study, I'm here with Jordan Kiko, and he's of uh, BSL, Baltimore Sports and Life, uh, a frequent contributor over there, and often uh, message board lurker and and commenter. Uh, Jordan, how you doing? It good, Ken. I'm uh, glad to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you back. Good discussion uh, about the inside linebackers just a few days ago. Don't know if that'll be up first or not, but we're going to talk about the defensive line day with Jordan. Jordan, very happy you could join us again. Yeah, thanks so much, Ken. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and we'll jump right in because uh, it's an interesting position to talk about here. Uh, the Ravens started the 2019 season with six defensive linemen on the roster, so I want to take people back a little bit historically about what went on during the season. Um, in addition to 
with Pierce and Williams and Wormley, kind of the big three, as I think. Then they had Zach Sealer on the roster, who we still hoped would work out as a five-tech. Uh, he's now since gone. We'll talk about that a little bit later. They had the new draft pick, Daylon Mack, out of, what, Texas A&M, right? And yep. they had Patrick Ricard as what I thought would be an emergency role as a sixth defensive lineman with with more play at fullback down the stretch in 2018. Uh, it turned out to be more than just an emergency role for, for Ricard in 2019. Yeah, and, you know, it really faded away there at the end of the year, but I think a lot of that had to do with, with Roman deciding that he wanted to use him more on offense. But um, he had some big games with some big impacts at a few moments that, uh, you know, really seemed to pay dividends for the Ravens. Yeah, certainly was 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 nice to have him. They've they've used him on an emergency basis before, of course, in his career. We'll get back to that in a little bit because I want to talk about how this roster kind of went through the season. Now, we all know that the troubles the Ravens had the first four games of the year defensively culminating with that horrible home loss to, to Cleveland. Um, which was just, you know, was a low point of the season, frankly, for the for the defense and for the team as a whole. And after that game, the defensive changes began immediately. They started with the inside linebacker group, but they also had troubles as defensive linemen started to get banged up. And Williams uh, was missed for a, for a period, uh, might have been one game. Pierce uh, later got hurt, and that precipitated the acquisitions of both Pecco and Ellis in the same week, but before that week 11 game against Houston. Yeah. And, and there were, they were needed bodies there at the end. They were really, really coming up short in terms of the total bodies they had to rotate in there. And even, you know, even with that lower usage that we saw out of the position overall, um, I'm not sure they would have gotten through without some, some of those snaps being taken by Pecco and Ellis. Yeah, Pecco in particular played a much, much more significant role, was very productive. We'll talk about that. But but uh, Pecco, Ellis, Williams, and Pierce ended the season really giving the Ravens four nose tackles, as many most teams would account for them, on the roster to finish the season, which is very odd that, that, that a team would be put together that way. But Williams has some versatility. He's, been, he's really been a nose tackle playing out of position at the three-tech. Uh, Pecco has been able to do some of that. Ellison and uh, Pierce are more pure nose guys. Uh, but anyway, they had all four of those guys at the end of the year. And a lot of that was a was some reliance on packages, which I want to talk about a little bit more. Anything more historically I'm missing about this? Did I, did I miss an individual player maybe who was around at some point on the defensive line for the Ravens that I'm that I'm just forgetting? No, I think that was everybody. <laughs> all right. We talked about Chris Wormley very briefly, yeah. but uh, yeah, anyway, we've, these are the guys. And uh, uh, one of the things that's kind of interesting about this is despite the reliance on these additional defensive linemen, the Ravens played their fewest defensive linemen per snap in team history. So, and I'm going to give that number for you in just a minute here, but I, I'll take my word for it for right now. It was the fewest. And they had... Let's see, 1,857 total snaps uh, out of their defensive line. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, looks like they got up to 1.92 when you include the playoff game against Tennessee. So it actually would, would be slightly above the 1.90 that was their previous record. So uh, during the regular season, I think they got it. 
but they didn't uh, end up with it during the postseason, which I guess is something that they, they don't have to look back at this season and say they were all that much different. Yeah, but, Tennessee has built a, a different way. I think I think they went into that game with the right approach with the, those big bodies, and that wasn't something they were going to do a lot, you know, without teams like that. Right. So, so there's kind of offsetting factors here that were driving the package usage and driving this unusual usage of defensive linemen. First of all, they had a, a, a defense that used a lot of jumbo nickel uh, because they were not getting the run stop for their standard two four five nickel. Now we've talked about that before, otherwise, but normal standard nickel two defensive linemen, uh, two outside linebackers, two inside linebackers, and a nickel package around that is kind of the umbrella of the defense. Uh, a jumbo nickel use three down linemen, two outside linebackers, and you make your sacrifice an inside linebacker where you only have one guy. And that means your safeties have to be good at run fitting and you have to do a better job of stringing out the line of scrimmage and making sure you hold your positions, not allow penetrations into level two uh, or, or when they do get there, your linebacker and one of your safeties needs to be very good about, about getting up and making a tackle. So it's a different type of package. Ravens were successful uh, getting their edges spread out, getting them a little smaller matchups to, to uh, battle against tight ends maybe not occasionally not have blocks on the outside so they could contain the edges. But anyway, puts them in a better position to succeed where they hadn't been early in the year. Yeah. And it, you know, what, one of the things I liked about it was the versatility that it also provided Martindale. Um, you know, when you get that three, three, five look instead of that two, four, five look, you can come from all kinds of different angles. Um, you can be a little bit more wide nine in when you're in that two, four, five or the race yes. car, you know, they, they can rotate in and out of a lot of those different looks. Um, and Martindale, I think, really maximized the ability to be flexible when he needed to be like that. Yeah, so that that is one of the real benefits of of playing playing three three five nickel, playing this this jumbo nickel, is that your your edge guys can set up much wider, and it does allow you to maybe rush the passer more effectively or to put more pressure on offensive tackles who are out in space or tight ends who are out there uh, in terms of getting them off off spot. And that will also will allow you then, of course, to play off that with whatever other complimentary pass rush you want to bring in, uh, bring in behind that. So I think that's a very valid point there. Um, you know, the offsetting factor to a lot of jumbo nickel is that the Ravens also played a lot of this race car package. And the race car package, as I'm defining it, is the four outside linebackers, one defensive lineman that's head up on the on the center, and. That, of course, is reducing the total number of linemen they have significantly in the game. Now, last year, they did also play a lot with one defensive lineman on most of their pass rush packages um, where they would still have, uh, you know, an extra uh, standing player there because they because they would use just an inside, um, sorry, an outside linebacker on the inside in those packages. What well, was uh, it was, go ahead. Yeah, it was nice to have Jihad Ward for some of those packages. I mean, he was, you know, very much more the tweener in the sense that he can play both sides of that. And, and he was he was really valuable, I think, both inside and outside um, when they used him pretty effectively once once he was acquired. Yeah, I, I, I like Ward a lot. And, you know, he came he came from Indy as a guy who was had a, you know, a defensive interior kind of a position label, but he wasn't used that way at all. I mean, the Ravens immediately saw his value as a outside linebacker. And the only time they used him on the inside was to rush the passer in that race car package. They didn't. They didn't move him in there just to just to play some defensive line snaps. And and with this team being desperate at times while he was here, it's something they could have easily done. 
Yeah, and and you know his build and size was really similar to McPhee. Um, so you know, and I, I I'd imagine, and I don't know this whether this is true or not, but the Ravens probably looked pretty hard at Ward in the draft and had a pretty good idea of who he was coming coming into this point, um, especially where they value kind of where he was drafted. Um, so um, you know, they I think they knew what they what they wanted to do with him even from the get go, and and that was nice. Yeah, it's it is. You know, we talk about draft scouting a lot, but you, you got to scout the rest of the league, too. You got to know who's out there player by player. And, you know, I'm sure they did have a pretty good idea of who Ward was at draft time, but they probably also kept up on it and knew who he was in the years since, because he's now, uh, you know, this he just completed his fourth year. He's an unrestricted free agent. And the Ravens are in a position, I think he's one of the players that they really need to think about getting back. Now, unfortunately, he's going to be somewhat expensive or somewhat more expensive than a couple million dollars for each for two years kind of thing because he's only 25 years old still. Yeah, so I, I think he'll command a, a decently sized deal for for you know what what he should get. And, and he played that way and he played to his value um, this year. So it was, it was good for him. But... Yeah, the Ravens are fantastic at plucking some of these guys off the practice squad. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's not just the defensive line. I know that's our topic here. But, you know, their ability to pick some guys up and actually get value out of them out of the practice squad should, you know, they, they deserve credit for that. Yeah. And and the street as well. And in, in this case, just like they did an inside yeah. linebacker with with Pecco and uh, and uh, Ellis, both good acquisitions that they got late in the season. I mean. Well, you look for cornerbacks late in the year a lot of the time, and there's just no one out there. There's no one out there. Um, you look for defensive linemen late in the year, there is typically no one out there. And the, the Ravens, more often than not, have been feeding the rest of the league with their practice squad in terms of their defensive line getting pilfered off their practice squad. But, you know, in this this year they were actually able to go out and, and you know, get a couple people who could really help them. Yeah, and I'm I'm interested in, in DaCosta's, you know, we just saw the, the re-signing of Andre Smith, but – DaCosta's approach of, you know, when you're talking about, I think Ward is not a great example in this instance, but taking guys where you're replacing someone that might be that two, three, four million dollar type cap player like James Hurst and replacing mm-hmm. him for somebody that's near the veteran minimum uh, with a guy like Andre Smith. You know, you're going to ask him to step in for two or three games, you know, maybe play 150 snaps total over the course of the end of the year. So being able to get that value at the veteran minimum is is a huge huge down the road benefit when you can roll your cap over and you're looking down the road at, you know, Stanley and Humphrey and J- Jackson and what you're going to need to do with them. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's going to make an interesting decision about guys like Pecco and Ellis or others like them as, as we get into the next season. Yeah, that, that, that will, that's a good point. We're going to, we're going to see how Andre Smith is really used. I mean, there's some debate over this, I think right now, I remember Shane Ray came to camp last year and Michael Floyd, came to camp last year, and so did Pernell McPhee. And my thought from the very beginning was only one of those three guys is going to make the team. I don't know which one, but it's, it's you know, they're not all going to make the team. And then we, it, it became pretty clear from the usage early in the preseason that Ray just wasn't at the level he needed to be in terms of of competing in the first half of, of preseason games, for example. Little things like that uh, would, would, would tell you that's true. So I think we're going to see Andre Smith playing some second half football in the preseason. The Ravens will see what they have with him. And I think he's probably slightly less than 50, 50 to make the team, but we'll see, we'll see where they end up. He's a, he's definitely a guy that they, they probably want to see what can he do still, but, but what don't know. I don't want to, we're talking about the defensive line. Today, but <laughs> sure. Sure. It's, it's, it's interesting. Cause he was obviously, he's just signed yesterday. So we want to, we want to talk about him, but uh, 
but it's one of these things that uh, you know I'm, I'm just I'm not convinced yet he's he's part of the Ravens' future plans. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I definitely see where you're going with that, and my point was more broadly about is there some cap savings against mm-hmm. and, and the defensive line might not be the right place to look for that, but some places where they can do some cap saving type maneuvers um, that they're going to save for either down the road or they're going to save for. Um, even this this year, I mean, they could do something with with Stanley sooner rather than later to as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, possible. Actually, a deal with Stanley, I guess it's even possible it could actually create cap space, right? Because right? he's going right. to make about twelve million this year. Um, let's go ahead and and talk about the individual players a little bit because I think you know each of them we have some we have some comments to make certainly in terms of of uh, what they did this year and and then certainly in terms of of whether or not they're going to be around next year. Now, I think a guy who has been unfairly a punching bag is the is the first guy we'll talk about, Brandon Williams, uh, who led the defensive line in snaps with approximately 55% and was much, used much more in a pass rush role this year. Yeah, Brandon Williams, uh, you, you want to get Baltimore fans a little uh, <laughs> jazzed up. Brandon Williams is the, the guy to go to. Um, you know, it was a lot of money to give to, to a defensive tackle, something the Ravens have not historically done. Um, and, you know, they've, they've been good at getting undrafted guys in here to play defensive tackle or making the right calls at the right dollar levels, um, you know, mid-round draft picks, et cetera. Um, and so when you did that and you brought in a guy that wasn't showing pass rush capabilities the last couple years, um, you know, he really became a lightning rod. Right. So, so yeah, you're right. Williams had been pretty badly outplayed by Pierce the last couple of years, I would say. This year, I'd say Williams uh, played some of his best football. And they, they put him in a position to rush the pass or something. He did a better job of it than he had before. Uh, you really notice it when he's not in there against the run. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I think on both sides of that, that's right. But, you know, there were a few games where Williams was one of the top two or three guys on the field, both pass rushing and run stopping. Um, and he was creating pressure. He was collapsing the pocket. You know, he wasn't the guy that was, you know, quarterback hits and, and sacks aren't always going to be his thing. But mm-hmm. if he can figure, you know, I, you know, and I didn't watch enough tape closely to know if it was just a he was stronger this year, healthier this year. Was it a new technique thing that he picked up? Was it a positional thing about how they used him on the defensive line? But if, if he's a guy that can collapse the pocket like that. Um, and they can add another smaller kind of inside nose type that can also just just kind of squeeze the pocket just a little bit enough. Um, that could go a real long way in the way this Ravens defense is, is kind of designed and built. I think the big thing you're seeing is that Williams has very little in his career had a chance to go head up against the center. So he's, you know, he's originally a nose tackle. Admittedly a small school nose, so he probably always has gotten a double team but he was a guy who, who really was built to overwhelm a center. And he got that opportunity because he plays a straight-up zero tech in that Ravens race car package where they put a five across the line of scrimmage. And, you know, when he does that, he's, he's going to get an opportunity to go just against the center if he wants, crash into that shoulder of the guard, maybe be an under guy by crossing somebody's face. But he has a lot of chances to, to do things he does not otherwise get a chance at in the regular course of play when he's used more often at the three-tech with Pierce in the game with him. So I, I think that that's what we saw this year in terms of him being a better pass rusher. Uh, Williams, uh, I just, I, I'm happy with his play both there and against the run where I thought he was very stout this year. Uh, he, the Ravens overall as a team gave up four and a half yards a carry 
and those are in the real snaps, actually 4.4 yards of carry, I guess, when you include the the uh, uh, the kneels, but only 4.0 when he was in there. Mm-hmm. So they were better than that, even though he was playing a lot of those rush snaps, but uh, but they weren't as good with some other some other players in there, including Pierce this year, where they gave up an extra half yard per play uh, with him uh, above and beyond Williams. Uh, he also was uh, the Ravens' best in terms of yards per play against the pass at 5.2 yards, uh, although Pecco came in and played only 62 snaps, and they gave up only 3.1 yards per pass uh, when he was in there. So uh, uh, there, there were exceptions on, on minimal snaps, but the, but the guys who played a lot of snaps, they, they gave up more yards uh, universally. Yeah, it was, it was nice to see. You know, I, I was certainly one of those people going into this year that was questioning whether or not the Ravens should be thinking about cutting Williams this upcoming year, just eating their big dead money and giving a big contract to Pierce. Um, and Williams played himself um, very firmly onto the roster for next year. Um, and I think in a lot of ways made sure that he kept his spot over Pierce. Um, and, and hopefully we'll see more of that next year. Yeah, it's a, it would be a long-term commitment to Pierce that would effectively extend a long-term commitment to Williams at this point. And given the need to save money on, for Jackson down the road, really, I think we won't see that. I think we'll see Williams yeah. play out you know, another year on this contract, and he might be the guy who gets cut so that Jackson could be signed early after next season. Uh, you know, There's other players as well who it could be, but, but Williams certainly would be one of the candidates. But the, in order for that to happen, the Ravens are going to have to find that next generation of talent because they're letting one of their very talented players, Michael Pierce, presumably go away this offseason. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Michael Pierce, uh, let's remind people a story from this season. He showed up at OTAs <laughs> overweight, was sent home. Uh, but then it came back, and he said he would get himself into shape, and he talked about he'd done his lifting, but he hadn't done his running and this and that. Frankly, <laughs> nobody wants to hear it. <laughs> this really is a nobody cares, work harder kind of a situation. But um, he, he came to came to camp and uh, got in shape as that moved along, and I don't think during the season we really noticed that he was tremendously out of shape. He certainly didn't look that way uh, during the season, but I thought he, he Turned in a solid year, just was not quite as dominant as he had been the the last couple. The last couple of years with Michael Pierce, to me, it's always seemed like whenever he wanted, he could summon up the energy to immediately push his man or even a double team into the backfield and blow up one play anytime he wanted during a game. It's kind of like a special ability or something in a computer game, but uh, just a, a remarkable athlete. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree kind of in the bigger picture of, of kind of where Pierce and Williams come together, but um, I think they're going to miss him. You know, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see whether they can uh, build upon or find a way to replace the strength that he brought to the defensive line. Um, and I think that, that a lot of there's not a lot of credit that goes to Pierce and Williams in concert together for Williams being kind of the immovable force at times, right? And just like, like he can just plug a hole and two guys aren't going to, they aren't going to move him off his spot. But Pierce alternately, as you were talking about at times, could just, he could just move other guys absolutely off the ball. Um, and I don't think we've seen something like that from the Ravens on the, you know, on the inside of the line since Nada, um, you know, honestly. Yeah, the, the two of them, and, you know, you look at the reasons why, the Ravens had to go to the jumbo nickel. And I just want to digress from this point a little bit here, but they had to go to the jumbo nickel because they didn't have good edge setters. And they also didn't have good inside linebackers. 
but it sure as hell wasn't that they didn't have good defensive linemen because they still had these two guys who were as good as they've ever had on the middle. And I'm including Syracuse and Adams in that group in terms of stopping the run and, and doing their part of that. But the problem was they didn't have edge guys who were at the same level as some of the greatest edge players of the last generation, which is an unfair standard to hold them to. But Suggs, Jared Johnson, Rob Burnett, the Ravens didn't have any of those guys to play the edge in this defense. They had uh, guys who were all a step down from that. Even though Matthew Judon is not bad, he's he's not great either. And Ferguson obviously was learning and getting getting beat a lot. Uh, some of it he's getting baited a lot, I thought. So, so that was creating problems. And then, of course, an inside linebacker. Uh, they started the season with some downhill players who were gap shooters, but very undersized. And they didn't have that one guy who was a really disciplined gap to gap, trail the play, catch up when the when the guy hits the hole um, inside linebacker like they did with Mosley. And that meant that they were really shorthanded there. So, uh, you know, they, they, those were the positions where they were short. It definitely was not on this defensive line where they had the the extreme sets. But if you look back at Ravens history, They've always had the personnel to stop 11 personnel runs with a base nickel with a sorry, a plain nickel, not 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 having to go ever to a to a base package. That's been really special in the NFL because you usually have to have good linebackers inside, good linebackers outside who can set the edge and two good guys in the middle who can stuff. And you got to have a lot of that sort of talent to be able to, to stop that consistently with those six. Yeah, you know, I think I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, when I was first looking at the defensive line, you know, my biggest question was because these pieces all fit together, just like you were talking about inside linebackers, edge setters, inside guys on on the defensive line. Is there a way the Ravens could pay a lot for one area that could overcompensate for some of those other potential areas? Um, And, you know, which one would that be? You know, and, and when you look at it, you know, in some ways, you can make a really strong case to wanting to try and keep Pierce or bring in an impact defensive lineman because there is no way the Ravens are going to remake the entirety of their base inside and outside linebacker package. They're not going to be able to get great on the edge and great on the inside in the same year, I don't think. I think we're two years away from that. Um, and so when you got a guy like Pierce who can make an impact like you were just talking about, um, you know, I'm interested to see what the Ravens do with that. I don't think they bring him back. Um, but if they think they can get good value and, you know, I don't know, Suggs comes back on the cheap and, you know, they find some guys that can be backside edge players and they upgrade a little bit at inside linebacker and they're happy with that. Um, then you look at a guy like Michael Pierce or you look at a guy like Calais Campbell or multiples there and it could be interesting. Yeah, I think I think you're you're kind of describing an odd kind of a meandering path of events that would have to occur for them to get Pierce back because I think they are very right now they're very focused on getting a pass rusher. Yeah. And they, they really want to improve in that area so much that they've talked about Calais Campbell. You know, there's been all sorts of talk about players like Clowney, mostly by the fans, I think, not by the not by the front office, about, you know, whether or not it's the right move even to tag Judon and keep him, tag and trade him, try and use their draft capital there. Uh, you know, they're going to have trouble at 28, making sure that they get a, a good edge player, let, whether it's a pure pass rusher or an edge setter, but certainly, you know, getting both would be just a rabbit out of a hat at number 28, mm-hmm. you know, particularly right. in a rookie. So I, I agree with you that it's going to take time to, to put that together. So if they, if they decided that, um, I think what, what could happen is 
they go through the initial free agent period and there's some angst about signing Michael Pierce by other teams. And one possibility is people just don't want to play pay a lot for run defense. But there's some plenty of teams out there who have such bad run defense that Pierce as the only guy would look so good to them. I can't imagine they'd really miss the opportunity. But then, you know, the, his price expectation may be different from what they're willing to pay. And maybe, in fact, part of this is DaCosta says, look, Michael, we can't afford to sign you right now to what you want but why don't you go out and test the market and come back to us tell us what the offer is and you know we'll make a good faith effort to to try and keep you a raven and if if they did something like that then i could see michael pierce uh you know rejoining particularly after the draft Mm -hmm. you know after the opportunity is is gone in part to um to have him uh draw a comp pick so yeah. if the Raven, Ravens can uh, can get a uh, you know a signing done at that point, and I guess it's it's June one for comp picks, or it may be different for now. I always have to ask Brian this uh, to make sure I have the date proper. But there's a there's a date at which the uh, you no longer get a comp pick, and it, it may be June first or it may be earlier this year. Okay, yeah, I, I thought it was just after the draft, so uh, <laughs> um, you know, but yeah, I think that there there's a little bit of a song and dance that has to go on to for the Ravens to either bring in a specific free agent or bring back a specific guy. And I think Pierce is, is one of those people. Um, and you know, Clowney and, and Clay is Campbell, those kind of guys, it's going to be the puzzle all has to fit together for right. any of those moves to, to be made. I think. Well, some of those moves, frankly, will be made early because mm-hmm. players like that understand that your best chance to get the biggest money contract is in those first few days of the free agency. Mm-hmm. And that's why the Ravens don't usually participate in that time. The Thomas signing was an extraordinarily right. unusual one. They they normally are not involved in that in that point in free agency. So we'll see if that uh, uh, if that comes to fruition. I don't put a zero percent chance that Pierce is back. I I I call it more like fifteen to twenty percent chance he returns through some mm. set of circumstances that you know make just makes sense for both sides. Yeah, him coming to camp overweight was was a really big misplay on his part. You know, I, I think that other GMs and other people are going to be looking at that, and that's it's just not the kind of thing that the teams want to see, especially when they're they're trying to invest in these big free agent contracts. Yeah, I mean, do you think that could work in the Ravens' favor? Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a chance. I, you know, I probably wouldn't have said 15 to 20, even though I was the one who <laughs> brought up the the crazy scenario. Um, I think it's lower than that, but I think that's the thing that would be the one to hold him back. You know. Um, because work ethic stuff, you know, even in the NFL is going to bite you more than drug use, you know, or being a bad guy, the work ethic stuff, especially when you're a big guy, especially when your athleticism matters, just, it just could be the the last domino. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with that. I think we, we've certainly seen it with some of the outside linebacker core and the way they'd been called out in special teams. And finally then in Tim Williams case, just cut, mm-hmm. um, you know, for that kind of uh, not being as into it as they should have been. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on here because we need to talk about some more some more players. But the next one is Chris Wormley, and yeah, you know, the big three all got fairly similar playing time. Not not exactly the same, but but Martindale did a good job of managing their snaps. Um, Brandon Williams during the regular season, I mentioned fifty five percent that include the postseason is actually fifty three point six in the regular season. Uh, Pierce at forty eight point six, and Wormley at forty five point nine percent during the regular season. So fairly similar usage from that big three. Uh, all totaling just under 1.5 snaps per play of the Ravens' 1.9 snaps per play. 
Yeah, you know, Chris Wormley is an interesting guy because, he, you know, it, it feels like before this season he didn't get a lot of looks um, and wasn't really used. His usage was way up this year. Um, but, you know, as it happens on the defensive line, sometimes you're not logging a lot into the, you know, into the into the playbook or in terms of the stats. You're not loading the stat sheet up, especially for the way the Ravens play. Um, and so it makes him really hard to to evaluate, you know, obviously from a cap value, there's just no reason that he's not a part of this team moving forward. Um, he was always in and around the ball. He was always seemed to be in the right place, all valuable stuff. Um, but, you know, unlike Pierce, where you were talking about how once once or twice a game, when you just really needed it, Pierce seemed to have that ability to make a play. Mm-hmm. Chris Wormley strikes me as the exact opposite of that. He's going to be right. in the right place, but he's going to be just far enough away or it's going to be enough that it's not going to make a difference. Um, you know, and, but they need the body. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know that I've seen enough on film from him to, to say I, I don't think he'll get a second contract with the Ravens. And, I, and, and, you know, I wasn't unimpressed, but I wasn't impressed with the season this past year. Right. Entering year four now. So this is a contract year for him. The big difference this year for me was it's it's similar in a way to Brandon Williams. Is that, You know, you see Brandon Williams do things rustling your passer you hadn't seen before. And in part, it's because his position reappeared. Well, that's true for Wormley as well, in that his five-tech position really reappeared with the Ravens' extended use of Jumbo Nickel. And it, it was worse for him because last year, Brent Urban was still with the Ravens. And Brent Urban played almost 51% of the snaps during the season, which basically were all as a five-tech or a pass rusher, one or the other. And that took away what are the central opportunities that Wormley would like to have his role be. So now he comes back in 2019. The five-tech is there again for him effectively for a lot of his snaps. And he's on the field a, a fair amount, too, as a just a paired defensive lineman and a standard nickel. So I'm not saying that's, that's, not, hap- that's not happening also. But the combination of base and jumbo nickel is giving him a fair amount of those five-tech snaps. And he ended up with 46% of snaps played this year and, and uh, uh, you know, got more opportunities at what he would typically be good at and, and has more experience with coming out of school. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and but you look at the final stat line for him and, you know, much better opportunity, much situationally better, half a sec more, um, yeah. you know, and and so uh, he'd be a guy that I'd want to actually go back and look a lot closer at. I think like in, in the same way with Williams, you you really have to kind of zone in game by game, say, OK, what was the game plan here? Like, is he playing a role that was really suited to a specific kind of way or a specific kind of thing? Those guys are really valuable, too. You know, he's not making any noise. He seems to be a good locker room guy. Um, you know, those things can't can't you can't undervalue that enough um, that some guys got to do the work, dirty work. Um, and maybe that's what he's doing. Yeah. I mean, Brent Urban was that guy the year before. Mm-hmm. I was really surprised he didn't draw interest from somebody uh, with a big contract. He ends up signing a fairly minimal deal with Tennessee, then getting cut by Tennessee such that Ravens don't even get a damn comp pick for him. But uh, but it was it was surprising. I thought Urban was was very significantly undervalued. Um, I, I would I guess I would even say by the Ravens because it would have been a good re-signing for them to make at at the kind of money he ended up getting from Tennessee. But uh, you know, certainly to to have him um, uh, go there, you'd expect to at least get the compact out of the deal anyway. It didn't work out. Uh, Wormley had more of an opportunity to play his role. He obviously had had two years left on on the cheap. With the Ravens, the Ravens will still have one such year uh, remaining in 2019. It'll be an opportunity for Wormley to crank it up, and hopefully he has a big year 
uh, in his contract year. Yeah, that'd be great to see. All right, we'll move on. Zach Sealer is a guy I really liked. Um, you know, they slipped him through the practice squad early in the season, then they tried again later, uh, and Miami picked him up. So they, 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 he was off and on and off and on, and then when he – the other way around, on and off, on and off. Right, right, and then right. Miami, <laughs> Miami, Miami finally claimed him, and he played well in the stretch for the Dolphins. I don't know if you if you saw this. I actually wasn't aware of it myself, but uh, somebody – Somebody told me, and I went back and looked at the game, and I'm, you know, wow, he showed up all over the place, uh, particularly in that game against New England. Yeah, and he had a great game statistically against Cincinnati. I actually had to go, I went back and looked because he was, I mean, he was a guy I didn't even want them to put on the practice squad last season. He really mm, yes, flashed, you know, in the preseason where just, you know, and we talked about this a little bit on the other podcast, but some things, some guys just seem to have this innate ability to do. Block shedding, I think, is one of them. You just, you know, you, you can be taught technique and you can be you can be coached to a certain level. But some guys are just slippery and they're they're hard to get a hold of. And there were times in the preseason where he seemed nearly unblockable by inferior competition or, you know, mediocre or guys that weren't going to make the league. And I was just surprised the Ravens didn't see the same things that we thought we were seeing on tape. And maybe maybe the guys he was up against were, were extra bad. But, um, you know, what you saw in the Cincinnati and, and New England game was uh, was a guy that could be really valuable on the Ravens for next season. Right. Um, I, there would be no question about Michael Pierce and a need for Michael Pierce. I think if, if Sealer is is on the roster and had played, gotten a chance to do what he did for the, you know, the last couple games for Miami. Well, part of the issue with Sealer is that he's really a five and he's not an interior guy. So he's not a, he's not a, a zero, one, two, three guy. Uh, I, I, you know, it'd be interesting to see if he could play the zero because they've asked players like McPhee to do it. But maybe he could be the he could be the centerpiece in the race car package. He was a big sack guy in college. Maybe he would bully opposing centers in that situation. But I just don't see him as a guy who would move to the interior and be subject to double teams. I thought he actually had quite a bit of difficulty with that when he did do it in in the regular season. In the in the um, preseason, the guy is a playing as a boy among men. I mean, sorry, men among boy boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've seen Nate Bowling would be up in that class, but he was by far. Uh, you know, one of the, I guess, two most impressive players in the 2018 preseason in terms of his uh, his play. Uh, so anyway, I'm 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 happy he's he's got a chance yeah, with Miami I, to get, yeah. get it with us. Let's move on. Patrick Ricard. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly, you know, we talked about it a little bit in terms of his fullback role. I guess neither of us would have really expected him to play as many defensive snaps as he ended up playing this year, but. Again, from time to time, the Ravens would have to dip into you know the college funds, so to speak, <laughs> and put Ricard on the on the field defensively, oftentimes on pass plays. Um, and he ended up through the let's see, let's make sure I'm looking at the right number here because I thought I had it. Now I'm seeing a different number. Okay, I I, I said 132 earlier. That's wrong. He played 43 snaps. Now I'm looking at that's 2018. Let me bring up the right spreadsheet here. 2019, he played. Yeah, 104 pass snaps and 28 rush snaps, so 132 total. And you know that's 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 quite a bit. But he was he was the zero tech guy they would bring in in the race car package. He was used also inside as the lone defensive lineman, even when they'd only use three outside linebackers in that package. Uh, but he got his first career sack and a, and a strip returned by Bowser for a touchdown at this at Cincinnati. 
Yeah, what a tremendous athlete Patrick Ricard is. You know, he he just he he seems to. I mean, he's just built to play football. Um, and you know, it, it's just I love him as the fullback. I think he fits perfectly there. Being able to catch the ball a little bit better would be nice for the what the Ravens are trying to do over there. But you know, he was a guy that I was among a few a couple of years ago that was saying, look, if he's the last guy off the bubble, no big deal. Um, and you know, now when you look at what he contributes, he's just a really valuable guy for the Ravens to have around. Yeah, it, w- it would be a really big deal at this point. And I, 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 even if you put a zero value on his defense, it would be a really big deal for Roman's offense Agreed. to lose him because he's, he's, I think not only is he a critical guy as the fullback, I think he's an important backup tight end. If they lost Boyle for some reason, I mean, yeah. I think he'd have to basically step into that role. Um, you know, they could, they could probably find another fullback. I would think certainly a lot easier than they can find the guy to replace Boyle. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you, you, you're, you're hitting on one of my favorite uh, pet pet topics, which is that I think that the Ravens are going to carry four tight ends next year. Um, uh, there's just, uh, they, they're not going to get through the whole season with all three guys essentially being healthy the entirety of the year. And if they, that's what they're going to bank on to run this offense, then we're going to have some tough games right in the middle of it. But that's a different podcast. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, fair enough. That's a, that's a good point. I think. Uh, all right, so uh, Ricard obviously had had a couple of big moments. Uh, we don't, we won't. I don't think we need to talk too much about what he added defensively. The Ravens weren't actually all that successful on the plays he was in there as a pass defender. Uh, but uh, I think uh, you know, obviously, in the number of kind of snaps he played, it uh, can come down to fewer plays. I want to talk about another guy who was a rookie. A lot was hoped of him because of Michael Pierce's status. We knew Michael Pierce was likely moving on after the 2019 season. And Daylon Mack was drafted in the fifth round from Texas A&M and was a guy that the Ravens hoped would be their next nose tackle. Yeah, and you, you don't see the Ravens miss that often on defensive line guys. They really seem to have a good formula and a good feel for what those guys are going to bring to the table. Obviously, you don't hit on all of them, but um, it was pretty disappointing, I, I, you know. Once they drafted him, some of the tape that, that we saw from him at AM was, you know, similar to Siler in the sense that there were some times where he was just really the guys just seemed to have a really hard time getting a hold of him. Um, and you know, that that, you know, three fifty-ish pound type guy seemed like he was gonna have a role and then he didn't flash in the preseason and he apparently didn't impress the Ravens coaches. But um, you know, you gotta do a lot to be a rookie and impress these Ravens coaches sometimes hey. too. They had it, you know, we go back to camp and they had Gerald Willis in camp and they mm-hmm. cut him. So they mm-hmm. had to think something of Mac, I would think. But the, the timing of everything was very suspicious with the acquisition of Ellis and Pecco because those two guys coming together, first of all, you acquire two noses when you need one. You go, what's up with that? And I think I can kind of explain that to myself is that Pecco and Ellis both were coming in cold that week. It was against Houston and Houston had a good run offense and we were. I suppose, frightened of Houston and their possibility of endangering the number one seed. That, that proved to be very silly. But, but, but uh, he, they both showed up, and neither of them had really practiced that week. So I think it was a two activations to try and get one position and almost like have them decide who was going to be a player on the fly during a game. Very dangerous. It's like testing in production. In a, in a, <laughs> I think it's something you don't want to do. But... Uh, but anyway, they, they brought these two guys in, and at the same time, they put Mac on IR for the season. And I think that you and I both had kind of a similar reaction to that, but I'll let you explain it. Yeah, you know, it was just, it, you know, sometimes they just got to move these guys off the roster. They don't think that they're going to end up making a difference. And um, 
once you're injured, you can go on the IR. So it seemed like the right opportunity potentially for them. Um, I'm trying to remember if there were some other injuries around that time. Maybe they were just worried about overall roster Pierce. spots. Yeah, Pierce was down for at least that game, so that was the that was the big fear. Yeah, and you know, and I can't remember if there was anyone in like kind of different areas of the team, but maybe they were just worried they needed the roster spot, and if they weren't going to give him snaps, they weren't going to give him snaps. Yeah, and so they so they just they they had a player who actually was at that position, and I think we're saying the same thing here, yeah. but. It wasn't just that he was hurt. He might have been dinged up because a lot of people are. But then again, he only played eight snaps the whole year. Yep. All of them coming in that Cleveland game. Yep. And he had not returned to the field. You know, we, we don't, we aren't privy to practice, of course, during the year. So what the heck happened? And yes, I think it very well could have just been effectively a red shirting at that point where they said, uh, look, we got somebody else we, we, we think has a better chance to fit in right now, now that we actually need some snaps. Yeah, and I think he's got to really worry about his roster spot for this upcoming year. I mean, the Ravens have, are going to have a decent chunk of picks in that same ballpark area that they drafted him. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Ravens historically have not been gun-shy about letting some guys go sometimes that you, you, you thought they might hang on to in that fourth, fifth, sixth round. You're like, oh, maybe that'll help them get through and have that status, and they've moved on. Um, so it'll be that- interesting to see. That could happen. I'm actually fairly optimistic about Max Chance to make the team. You have you have Pierce going, Sealer is now gone, Pecco and Ellis are both free agents, so they'll have to decide if they're going to re-sign one or both of those. Probably, yeah, I think the, you know it might make sense to to keep a guy like Pecco around. I think that means they need to a draft a player, but they may need two anyway. Yeah. And well, so, they'll have what uh, five or six picks between the the kind of third, fourth, and fifth rounds. Six picks in there. Three, four, and five. Let's see. They have nine selections, uh, including two. I think it's. I think they have a one through seven, and then two extra fours is what I think they have. They and they got the five from the um, from the kicker trade with Vikings. Uh, they already traded that one to oh, get. Oh, that's to right. Get that's right. Peters. Okay. Yeah. That's right. Okay. So then I, I think he might be safer then. <laughs> yes. But in the it, beat it, of that it, draft, the Ravens like the Ravens like to take those fourth round guys. The Ravens have a thing about the fourth round, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I love fourth round picks, too, because of how well the Ravens have done it. And, you know, we're just seeing the final year played out of that great 2016 five guy fourth round. Uh, Willie Henry actually kind of petered out a little <laughs> bit early in that. But Tavon was in the group. Yep. You know, Chris Moore was in the group. I think you'd have to say the Ravens got value there. Kenneth Dixon, a little yep. bit of a disappointment. I'm trying to think of who the who the fifth was. Um, ooh. Is there a tight uh, end? Alex Lewis. Alex Lewis, you're right. So huge so value, him for a huge something. value to the Ravens while he was playing. I mean, he was, but another one of those guys that kind of disappeared when he was done. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it was. It actually didn't work out nearly as well as the Ravens could have hoped. But to get Tavon out of it, hopefully he ends up uh, putting together a Ring of Honor career now. If you want to really be optimistic about things, and uh, and we'll see. But um, that draft reminds me of uh, Kafusi being a guy that didn't make it. You know, didn't make it to his second year for the Ravens and drafted two rounds earlier than Mac. Right. So he, I think he got cut in year three, right? Kafusi. I think it was year. I think it was year two, or was it okay. year three? Um, 
we can we, you can look it up, and I'll I'll kind of talk a little bit about uh, about Domata Pecco because I I do want to talk about him. Uh, it's Domata Pecco, right? Is that the that's the way he pronounces it's it? Domata, yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, I thought what was really special about Pecco is he's a 35 year old or 36 year old guy, and I don't remember exactly which. But he came in late in the year, of course, with the Ravens. He signed prior to this game against Houston. And he had very fresh legs down the stretch. Very productive tackler. Now, he'd been that before at Cincinnati. One interesting thing that shows up is that his PFF grading at Cincinnati was pretty darn consistently poor over a long period of time. Then he went to Denver, and he had two years of being being well-graded. Well, there's a couple different possibilities of what's going on there. First of all, very possible Cincinnati was not using him correctly. They were probably overusing him, not specializing him enough in terms of what he's good for. So that's a possibility. Number two is the PFF grader for Cincinnati may just be much tougher than the PFF grader for, for <laughs> Denver. And the and the oversight that they have was just not catching it all. But whatever the case, you know, certainly his stats at that point screamed out that kind of a system guy, which is perfect for the Ravens. And they brought him in and lo and behold... Fantastic player in their system. Yeah, he's a guy. As long as he wants to play next year, I'd be. Re- I, I mean, for a, from a depth and veteran perspective, um, I'd be more than welcoming him back with open arms. Yeah, 136 snaps this last year. The opponents only gained 3.8 yards per play on those. Uh, 9.7% sack rate with him on the field, and he wasn't on. He wasn't there primarily to do that. He was mostly there to stop the run, of course. And he, he was personally showing up on the stat sheet regularly on the run, but he also had a bunch of contributions with with penetration to set up run stops. You know, a lot of lot of what I always find in my writing, and I like to point out in highlights, is is how, how a defensive lineman has shut off one of the lanes out of the backfield and and blown up a run play. Uh, and it's usually somebody else who makes a tackle, whether it's a you know a backside player pursuing the play or somebody coming in late through that gap, whether it's an inside linebacker safety, whoever it might be. But uh, but it's often not not him that gets the uh, official tackle credit. I mean, and that's vintage Ravens kind of how they run their run fits, and especially when they're in base, that's that's their approach. Um, and he he managed to come right over here and fit right in. So um, it was it was a welcome surprise. And like you said, he was he was you know, playing close to a third of these games, you know, right off the couch, um, which right. is, which is tremendous to see. Right. So now the other guy they, they acquired was Justin Ellis. And I, again, I think it was really a two to make one acquisition. Ellis came back and he ended up playing 17 snaps against Pittsburgh, which was a lot of his playing time for the year. Uh, he came in the same time, was not active every game and only played, what do we have here? 65 total snaps for the year. So, you know, he, it used off and on a little bit. Ellis, I was a little more impressed with in terms of his ability to push the pocket against the pass. I thought he actually did a fairly good job of doing that. And again, uh, he was often, oftentimes in that uh, a one-tech role as a pass rusher, not on a passing down. Yeah, you know, he he was an interesting guy because, you, you know, there were a few times you saw contributions from him. But I feel like my biggest takeaway from Ellis was that he was just a, a gigantic, gigantic human being. Um, and, and you know, in a lot of ways, I think that was really valuable for what the Ravens needed. Um, you know, a lot of their issues were related to kind of run fitting and gaps and guys kind of over pursuing and getting out of position. And he when he was in there, he really did anchor down his spots. Um, and, and you could you could see him clear as day kind of doing doing that role really effectively when they went called upon. All 
right. Very happy with uh, with what he did. That gets us to the end of the defensive linemen in, in individually uh, in terms of what they did. So let's talk about 2020 a little bit. You've got a, obviously a large free agent group with this, with Ellis free agent, Pecco a free agent, Sealer gone, Pierce a free agent. So you have four guys under contract, Williams, Wormley, Ricard, and Mack. Obviously, those four guys will all be in camp. How else would you fill out this roster for camp to try and get a group that can compete for probably six spots if you include Ricard? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the first thing is you're going to need a big body. You know, you're going to need someone that is more like the Pierce, Ellis, Pecco, and, and that's that's the first question. And it's one of those guys. Is it, is it a different guy that's out there? Um, but you're going to need that. The way the Ravens stylistically play, um, I think they need that second body, both for rotational and those mm-hmm. big jumbo packages when they are when they're really trying to shut it down, that they, they frequently would have gone to kind of covering up both the A-gaps there with those big guys. Right. I, I'd like them to actually carry four guys that are effectively in that because they play so little of a five tech player in this. Go go ahead and keep your one five tech is is Wormley. You got other guys who can play there if need be. Um, they they may actually go out and they decide they want a five tech that they in in the draft. That might happen. Uh, but but I think that it's more of a serious problem, or it has been for the Ravens, that they end up short a big body during the year. And you're mentioning rotation. I, I think about you know how often these guys get dinged up or they twist an ankle or they do what they do during the year, and then you need somebody for a couple of weeks. I mean, well, if the, you, want, you really want to have somebody available at that point who is regularly an inactive player. Maybe Mac is that guy. Maybe it's a rookie and Mac starts to play some this year. But I think that, that they'll, they'll need to figure out if, if they can get a guy. I, and I wonder if a guy like Gerald McCoy is is one that gets a second look back here, didn't love his experience losing in Carolina, has a chance to play with Lamar, vintage hmm. defense. Maybe I'll come in for five and a half or six million. That makes a lot of sense for both sides. Did, did he get cut by the Panthers? Uh, no, I, I think it was just a one year. It was a one eight last year, I believe. Okay, did not know that. Okay, I thought it was a two-year deal with McCoy, but I'm, I, I'm, you, you could well be right. We'll look it over the cap. We'll, we'll determine if that's, uh, if that's right. Let me just take a moment on that because I'm very interested in seeing that. He's, you know, would give you. Yeah, a, it was a one eight and a half. Okay, that's pretty significant. Yeah. That so, a, but you know, so that's the question. Do you want to come play somewhere with a winner? He was here. You know, the Ravens got him to the castle, and he didn't stay. That's that's rare. Um, did he have a great experience and does he want to come play with Lamar? I mean, that's the, that's the big question for these guys, right? Right. Yeah. That's it's a, that he, it certainly is a very interesting choice. Uh, I don't know that there'd be a more economical guy you could get than McCoy at this point. I didn't really look at any of his, uh, play with the Panthers last year. Panthers weren't a team that I'm following, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but it'd be interesting to see exactly how he got handled last year, uh, terms of the season he had yeah me either i you know i didn't see a lot of him but he was kind of my defensive tackle back of mind guy okay all right well very reasonable i mean they it, the ravens don't have to set their sights on exactly one player and like you said they have one of the real lightning magnet recruiters in the whole league in terms of of having jackson on his rookie deal steer still here a lot of people looking to get a ring late in their career i would think Pecco and uh, mm-hmm. and mccoy would both be among those Yep. 
And there, there are some other interesting names along the defensive line out there. Um, Everson Griffin's probably going to get mm-hmm. cut. Um, so is he going to take, you know, a, a bigger discount? I think Dontari Poe is likely to get cut. Um, Derek Wolf looks like, a un, I believe he's unrestricted. He's really, I, I think he's particularly interesting. Um, and Jabal Sheard, a guy that out of the, from the Colts was an interesting name that I, you know, I would have loved to see on the Ravens before this year. I don't know if that's going to be the right fit now. Um, but another guy that could rush the passer, but also kind of play that B gap and, and do, do a little bit more. Okay. Yeah. There's still a lot of money on, uh, on Everson's Griffin's contract, but I wonder it's like 11 if, million against I, the Vikings are over the cap, I believe by like four or 5 million already. So the, one of the questions would be, could they trade him instead of cut him? Mm-hmm. And then he's got his base salaries are 12.9, 13.4 and 14.9 the next three years. I don't think that's going to work. I think yeah, that'll be a non-starter. He's, he's 32, 33. He's on the older yeah. side, but he would, so again, you know, could be an interesting fit. Um, I, if I have, if, if, you know, obviously in a perfect world where cap wasn't relevant, Derek Wolf would be a guy I'd look really strongly at. Um, really good interior presence and a really good ability to push the pocket. He's, he, he really shows up in terms of the holding calls drawn. I remember he had when I when the year they acquired Elvis Dumerville, which, t- which should be a red flag right away because <laughs> they signed him after the 2012 season. But Derek Wolf had drawn a bunch of holding calls that that I would have expected had been been by the. Um, Broncos edge players had been drawing and uh, and Wolf actually led the team. So that was pretty surprising. <laughs> um, the only other name I throw out there that might be cheap that, that's getting older is Mike Daniels, um, a guy two or three years ago. I would have been much more interested in having, you know, I didn't Detroit's also on that list like Carolina that we probably didn't watch a lot. Um, but, you know, big names that play in the interior that have had a good history. Uh, but, you know, these defensive line guys fall off quickly. You know, they take a beating. Right. Right. So anyway, it was uh, very fortunate to find a fresh guy like Pecco who's older like this. And I think that's that's probably going to be their first choice in terms of knowing what they have and uh, trying to so. see if they can get him through a full season. Uh, but but it, it'll be interesting to look at that. And we'll look. I'll tell you what, uh, I'll make sure I have you on at least once for some of the free agent talks we have before that starts up, because uh, that'll be kind of exciting, certainly before the draft as well. Uh, anything else we need to, to, to talk about in terms of the 2020 defensive line for the Ravens and what's going on there. No, but I think it's going to be an interesting group to watch both for who they bring in and the number of guys they keep. I think that's going to be, especially with that lower usage from last year, if they want to carry that over, is that a, is that a spot they're going to try and save, you know, a roster spot down the road? Right. So like go with five and a half and have Ricard right. and have one inactive. I mean, for one thing we've been noticing is the Ravens have been playing with four active DL plus Ricard a fair number of games and they might've even had one game where it was four, including Ricard. Mm. And it was just it, right. Cause Williams, it, probably the Cleveland game. Cause Williams was a real late scratch. Real late. Scratch. I can look for that. I can see if that was true. Cleveland week four, we're talking about right yeah, now. Yeah, Week four. Cause that's when Thomas and Williams got in a fight in the locker room. They had only four guys playing the defensive line in that game. It was Mac Pierce, um, Ricard and Wormley. That's I'm yeah. Mac Pierce, Ricard, and Wormley. No Williams. Right. Yeah. Because because yeah. Earl Thomas confronted him after the game, and because they didn't know he wasn't going to play, and there right. were some rumors that their the game plan kind of went to to the game plan got out of hand because they didn't know he wasn't going to play, and Thomas wish he had said something sooner or something well, like that. It, it was an interesting <laughs> thing. Harbaugh talked about the thing during the week, and he said 
it's not an injury. It's, it's something that's, you know, is making him uncomfortable. And there's only two things that come to mind when you have that. Number one is he's a big man, so it could be gout in terms of that. But I think there may be better ways to treat that now that would make that go way more rapidly in terms of those, those the crystal build up there. But the other thing is he could have hemorrhoids. And, mm. you know, I, I don't know what the, you know, how easily they can, they can deal with that. George Brett probably had the most famous case of those and had mm. to, had to play through a playoff game in very obvious pain. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, they, they did the best they could, but, uh, uh yeah, it's, I think with, for an interior lineman, it would be even more difficult to try yeah. to, try and work through that. Well, all right. Uh, a pleasure to have you again, Jordan. We'll uh, we'll catch you next time. And uh, tell us, where again, where people can find your writing and find you on Twitter, wherever you yeah. want to be seen. I write with uh, Baltimore Sports and Life, so you can find us on, on their webpage or message board. And I'm on Twitter at, at BSL Jordan Co. K-O-U-G-H. Um, anytime. All right. A pleasure, Jordan. If you're out there, you want to do a film study short, you want to talk about free agency with the Ravens, I'm interested in expanding this to a broader group, identifying people who want to talk about it, in particular if you have a study you worked on, any kind of individual tracking of plays or charting. I'm always interested in talking to people who are doing that and uh, you know, producing your own short that where you introduce this material. Maybe I ask some questions about it. But thanks very much uh, for listening again, and we'll catch you next time on Film Study. <laughs>